Welcome to the Everything Early Childhood podcast designed for approved providers, nominated supervisors and other childcare leaders. This fun, lighthearted and very serious podcast features weekly episodes on strategy, advice and conversations with fascinating and inspiring people from across our sector. Join the journey and have access to the tools and inspiration you need to create high-performing childcare businesses. Let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Everything Early Childhood. I am here with our special guest today, Aaron Nudson from Palette Play. So I know Aaron. Aaron's connected with us on our Directors Network group previously, and we had a topic raised from our audience around maximizing learning and education in the outdoor environment. And I thought, what perfect person um, to speak to, but Aaron. So thanks so much for joining us, Aaron. Thank you for having me. It's good to be here. Awesome. So where shall we start? Do you want to do a little bit of an introduction about yourself um, and, yeah, yeah, your journey so yeah. far? My journey so far. Okay. Well, so going right back to the start, I thought that I wanted to do primary school teaching leaving school. So out of school, I had to sort of do a bridging course, which is through CIT, which is Canberra's version of TAFE. Um, so I did that and got most of the way through my diploma and then, you know, had enough of studying. So I just left and started doing casual, um, early childhood, uh, teaching, um, that sort of got my foot in the door. And that was a really cool way of connecting with different, uh, services because I got to go into a, a center, work for a week, see if I liked it. Um, and often they would just offer me a job straight up. Um, and if I liked it, I would stay for a little while. Um, I went from there and uh, I went to a place which is called Monica Childcare Centre. I stayed there for 10 years. So during that time, I actually went and finished my diploma and went from being the uh, assistant through to being team leader. I spent uh, 10 years at, at, um, at Monica, uh, mainly working with preschool age group. Mm-hmm. And... Then I kind of found my niche in creating environments. So uh, my director at the time, she was super supportive. She gave me the opportunity to design a play space, which was getting redone. We had some um, some landscapers come through and they were, you know, redesigning our play space. So I did the drawing and then I guided them as to where to put everything and you got that done and it um it went really really well and uh you know it kind of got the attention of a bunch of other directors so from that i then kind of got into this weird hobby of building stuff out of pallets um that was purely out of necessity just because i had no money and pallets <laughs> yeah. were free yeah uh, resource love um, a pallet yeah, yeah yeah so i um i went through the stage of just collecting pallets and, and trying to build stuff with them, you know, building little tables. And uh, I think the first thing I built was a, a little teepee mm. and it got such a huge reaction. A mate of mine who I worked with posted it online and it kind of went crazy. People were like, where can we get these things? Wow. Well, maybe I can build more of them. So yeah. that kind of got the ball rolling. Um, one thing just sort of led to another. Then I found myself, building little cubby houses for both the service I worked at and other services around Canberra. Yeah. Um, 
and then I just kind of got in contact with some really cool people who sort of pushed me in the direction of running professional development. So um, a, a couple of noble people. I may as well just name drop one. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> <laughs> so first, um, Molly and Lisa from Down to Earth Practical Solutions. They do... Um, What's the like mentoring sort of stuff? Yeah, um, consultancy. I love yeah. Molly Roden. She is amazing. Oh, you know, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Molly's a yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, I, I saw um, her presentation around um, children and group times and um, yeah. her research around that and actually asking children the question. And children were like, sit down, it's sit down time, sit down time. So, yeah, she's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she encouraged me to start doing this PD sort of stuff, mm. to start put, putting something together. Um, she was like, look, get a bit of experience under your belt and um, you can probably present something as a part of Down to Earth. So I thought about it and I kind of put something together. Um, then, you know, kind of the moons and the stars all sort of aligned and um, uh, got in touch with Tony and Robin Christie uh, from Child Space New Zealand. I actually messaged Robin just before uh, doing this podcast. So, hi, if you're listening. Um, <laughs> So I got in touch with those guys. They uh, were coming through Canberra and did a were doing their presentation thing, and I was just in awe of the stuff Robin was doing as far as designing play spaces. So yeah. I just hung out like a groupie at his um, station. You know, I watched everything he presented the whole time. It was just like this light bulb moment. Like, oh my god, you can design play spaces like as an occupation like, yeah. that's a real thing <laughs> that's a thing yeah. yeah 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 and it's totally a thing so I was like incredibly inspired so combining that with the skills that I was already starting to develop in, in creating stuff using recycled materials it all just sort of fell into place um so I asked uh Tony if I could um present at their conference which was happening much later in the year in New Zealand in Wellington mm. um, and they gave me the green light and I was wow like, All right. how incredible uh, is that now I've got to make this happen mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. having that deadline forced me to you know have a make a presentation yeah. and uh, just kind of like jumping in the deep end and I love that philosophy, like say yes and work it out later. <laughs> yeah. Because like in a lot of, um, like the last podcast I recorded or didn't record, I should say, yeah, yeah. Um, it was about um, like if it doesn't scare us like it, or if we feel fear, that's a signal that we're going in the right direction. Oh, dude, yeah. I felt a ton of fear. Like yeah, yeah. yeah. I was flying to another country to speak to a whole heap of people and I had never done it before. Mm -hmm. But, you know, no one ever asked if I'd done it before. I was just like, all right, you want to have a go? Give it a go. Yeah. But once I had done it, now I've got my foot in the door. Now I'm a professional speaker or whatever you call it. So now I was able to run uh, workshops firstly with Down to Earth. Mm -hmm. And then I thought maybe I can just do this on my own. So I started off running workshops, um, just sort of like a, an open workshop, like anyone who wants to come, come along, we'll build stuff. And it was kind of chaotic, you know, looking back, they, it was not my finest work, <laughs> but everyone had a great time. They got to use some tools. Uh, they got to build some things. I gave them what knowledge I had at the time. Mm. And it just sort of kept evolving from there. Um, so at this stage, I'm still working in early childhood while running this as a side business amazing how many days I, are you doing what are you doing 
Well, so I was doing five and then I started reducing that. So yeah. I then slowly went down to four days a week uh, childcare and, you know, more time uh, spent working on my business. Mm-hmm. Um, then it, it almost got to a point where my regular job was getting in the way of, you know, this business. So yeah. I had to, I guess, make some scary decisions. Um, yeah, take the leap. Well, I didn't initially. The, the, mm-hmm. first, the first leap was I moved to a different childcare centre, but this time as a sustainability educator. So I was there, I think, three days a week. Yeah. Um, and as a sustainability educator, it just meant I spent my day off the floor taking groups of children for gardening or building or recycling, anything just kind of loosely related to sustainability. Mm-hmm. I would then run, I guess, little workshops with the, the team, the educators on how to incorporate sustainability into their, you know, their, into their rooms, into their everyday environment. Um, and I also got to, I guess, practice my skill in uh, designing and creating play spaces for the service that I worked in. So mm-hmm. it was a way of essentially doing what I do as a business, but on company time. So, yeah, you know, yeah. it was a bit of a safety net. Yeah. And because of each person's different situation or circumstances, sometimes it's important to have that, you know, comfortability factor at certain yeah, periods yeah. of life. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that kept evolving. Um, the, the workshops were going great. Um, feedback I was getting was that it, would work really well as a team building experience so Mm. I kind of switched focus and thought you know I can still teach about playgrounds and and teach about design but uh, the hands-on aspect can be more of a team bonding experience so I kind of switched focus and and took it in that direction and that really took off Um, then it got to the point when I did have to to make the scary leap so initially I said look I'm just going to take leave without pay I think I did that for I don't know, a couple months. Right. Um, yeah. You had to have that safety net. Yep. Yeah. 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 And look, luckily, my boss was super cool. She was like, look, I knew this was going to happen. Yeah. So you know, she was just happy that, you know, we got to go on this cool journey together. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, from there, I, I just took the leap and I resigned from my job and was wow. unemployed, self employed. I don't yeah. know what you call it. Yeah. Self unemployed. What did that um, feel like at the time? Yeah, dude, it was a mixture of, uh, it was a scary feeling. It was also a freeing feeling. It's like, I didn't have a job yet. I could work whenever I wanted to. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I was in charge of my own time. It was the first time in my working life where I didn't have to let anyone know that I was going to the toilet. I could just (laughs) get up and go. It's the little things. It's the little things. things. Yeah. 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 I could have lunch at whatever time I wanted. Yeah. I wasn't. Yeah. I didn't have to get up and be at a certain place at a certain time. So that was. But the flip side to that is, which I don't think a lot of people realize, is that you then are in complete control of your time. So what that Mm. means is that, yes, it's also freeing, which are the positive sides of it. um, Mm -hmm. But the opposite side of that is that if you don't do anything because you don't, you're not (laughs) motivated, then nothing happens. Yeah, yeah, 100%. There's no slacking off and still getting paid. Yeah, no. <laughs> There's no, yeah, I do kind of miss the days where we just have a, a real cruisy day and, and everything went great, but no, my pay wouldn't be affected. Um, yeah. So that was, and, and also 
uh, it's a big change in, in not really switching off. I'm always, I always have so many different things to think about, whether it's like the marketing side of things, it's admin getting back to people, then yeah, the bookkeeping accounts. Like, yeah, I was just about to say, yep. yeah, dude, the, the tax <laughs> and all that side of yeah. things, like, oh, such a steep learning curve. It's a lot. It's a lot to run a business. It is. Mm. Um, what's been really, um, really great to me is. The relationships that I have made through uh, my, my time in childcare, like my tax agent, my accountant, she was actually a parent of a child who I taught in oh, preschool. So beautiful. having that family connection, you know, she feels like it's part of the business. Yeah. Um, it kind of feels like family. So I know that she's really got my best interests at heart. So that's been uh, it's been really, really fortunate. I feel really lucky to, to have those sort of connections. And I think everyone in early childhood is really, you know, friendly. It's kind of, it's a yep. nice place. Yeah, uh, 100%. Know. Yeah. Um, and then, so moving out and, and to speaking to directors, I feel like they're my people. Like uh, we speak the same language. We've been in the trenches together. I, I know, you know, what they're going through and I, I can speak kind of early childhood language. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which... I think kind of gives me, you know, a bit of a an edge over uh, other, I don't know, landscaping companies or people who haven't worked in early childhood. Yeah, I can I can kind of look at it uh, from an educator's point of view, which has been really really uh, beneficial. To and me. also from children's perspectives, because uh, you know, at heart yeah. you are a teacher, so yeah, you know, yeah. I think being able to see it from those perspectives is really important. Yeah. So then another thing I started branching out and doing was running incursions with children. So something I'm really passionate about is um, the whole, you know, risk and in risky play sort of thing mm -hmm. um, and allowing children the opportunity to explore risk and then take the necessary precautions to, like, overcome that risk safely. Yeah. Uh, so then it was running incursions where I would partly build a product and then go into a service and the children would then help put it all together using real drills and real drivers. And that has been cool. Like from my end, I still get to have that interaction and do like the fun part of the job. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I'm not doing any of the observations or the programming or any of that sort of thing. So that has sort of kept me connected to, I guess, what's going on like ground level working with the children. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then moving on to just straight up designing spaces, uh, thinking about things as a learning environment rather than just an outdoor play space yeah um, and what I love about your journey so much is that and I think the message that we need to get out there whether this is you know working in early childhood is your dream career and that's amazing learn everything mm. you can and pass it on or whether it's just a stepping stone and those skills that you're learning are going to be your stepping stone into something else and yeah, totally and early childhood allows you to explore whatever interests you have I would like to see more diversity, I think, in early childhood. Like as a, you know, an educator, we're wearing so many different hats and I don't think it is reasonable to think that you are going to excel at every single you know, thing that's asked of you, mm. be that running group time or be that doing gardening or you know, be that building or any of these other things. I think if people can find their niche, find their passion, and, you know, zone in on that. I think in, and if you were to build a good team around that where everyone is working to their strengths, I really think that 
um, you know, the, the care that we're providing as a whole is going to be a whole heap more, you know, rewarding, more fulfilling. Um, so, yeah, I would highly encourage people to find their, their niche, their passion and um, put their energy into that. Because I think when you're really being authentic about who you are as an educator, I think that's where, you know, the best learning really comes for the children. And how did you identify that that was your strength and something you were really interested in? Yeah, I don't know. I just sort of fell into it. Mm. I um, I think we are just sort of drawn to, um, well, we're just drawn to whatever appeals to us. Um, the the outdoor environment thing, I just felt compelled to create spaces where the children were free to explore. And I feel when we do that, the learning happens rather than it being sort of forced upon them as, as something where we are teaching you. The children have you know, free range to explore and um, discover. I, I think when, when learning happens as a discovery, it's, it's more rewarding and more valuable for a child. Um, and also I just like making cool stuff. So. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah, it's like making cool stuff. Yeah, yeah. 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 Absolutely. Well, let's get delve into environments then. So because yeah, yeah, yeah. one of the biggest things that we get from our audience and from our network is that they find that educators, so let's just say it's time to go outside, um, right. and literally the educator's perception of going outside is where the children just run around. So yeah. no learning, no education's happening. And, of course, in these environments that are very um, – uh, yeah, plastic, um, <laughs> very basic. Um, you yeah. know, it doesn't allow for a lot of opportunity for, for the children to learn from the environment. So yeah. what would you say and what advice would you give people around, I guess, maximising that learning outdoors and how should they view it? Okay, well, you can tackle this from a few different angles. I would like to see more free-flowing of uh, children being allowed to explore indoor and outdoor play. I think that... Uh, trying to herd children as a group is sort of not the best approach. I would like to see children be able to have a bit more agency in choosing where they you know, want to play throughout the day. Um, and you'll find then children are moving in smaller groups, which then you know, operates a whole heap better. Um, so in designing outdoor environments, we want places where the children can discover and have scope for them to uh, return to play so sandpit is like an absolute must if we can design our sandpits in a way that uh, children's creations don't get destroyed at the end of every single day I think that would be a lot better now what I mean by that if we can enclose our sandpits so that a child hasn't been working all day on their hole whatever they're doing in the sand mm. and then at the end of the day the big heavy anti-cat thing comes and gets dragged across the sandpit and just ruins everything that they've worked on all day. I think that there are other ways that we can go about that. So enclosing sandpits would be one way that we could, um, we could go about that. Also, that sort of brings me to the concept of protected play spaces. Mm. Um, so people who have done my workshop would hear me ramble on about protected play spaces. Um, for those who haven't heard it before, it's, it's, something that instinctively as educators we do inside the room but I rarely see this same mindset transfer outside of the room think about your home corner or your art area your block area your quiet corner I mean the reason the air these areas are successful is because they're free from foot traffic so 
a child can be engaged in whatever they're doing within this protected play space without distraction or without fear that someone's going to come through and knock over their block tower or you know ruin their doll corner area. If we can take this same mindset outside and create more protected play spaces, you will find that the children become a lot more engaged in whatever they're doing within that protected play space. And also the energy of the environment really comes down. Um, now, there's a lot of ways that we can do this. Um, bridges are a great way to create a defined entry point into a protected play space. Um, gateways are a really cool way to you know, create an invitation through into a protected play space. Um, but really it's anything that is just a, a def defined space um, like making zones, I think is another way that we can we can think about it. And also then trying to group those zones together in sort of similar style play. So you don't want your active play and your quiet play next to each other because it's going to it's going to interfere. Like I kind of think of it like a festival sometimes. Like <laughs> you don't want the hardcore arena right next to the chill out zone because they're going to clash. You know, mm -hmm. those people are at very different levels. Yeah. The energy, so, the yeah. feeling. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I guess absolutely. escaping. Like if a child's going to a quiet zone, they want that to escape and to feel that sense yeah. of calm. So it sort of interferes. It does. And look, that kind of brings up another, well, a few points. Mm. Um, what we tend to do over here is divide children up by age groups. And I don't think that this has to be done that way unless you have a, a service with, you know, sort of 200 children, but that's that's another issue. Um, <laughs> yeah, let's not get into that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, what, what tends to happen is when we have many different age groups, we just end up replicating each play space in a smaller version. Yeah. Uh, I think rather than do that, if we were able to allow the children to move freely between uh, different age groups, we could have you know, the younger children with a quieter area and children who want to have that quiet experience can seek that out over there where the smaller, quieter children are. Also, uh, younger children who want to maybe, uh, you know, use more of their language uh, techniques or you know just feel more comfortable with the bigger children in the bigger area where there's you know, a lot more action they might feel more at home over there so allowing free movement I think better caters to children's individual needs yeah and I'm just thinking of like whilst you whilst you're speaking I'm just thinking about um, these environments and um, yeah different I guess experiences and I think a lot of services are still really nervous about like I call it just remove the fence I'm all for yeah, yeah. just removing fences um, yeah. yeah so and I just say remove the fence and just mm -hmm. um, yesterday I was in a baby's room and they said oh no we don't share the yard with the toddlers because it's mm -hmm. not safe mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't really understand where that comes from because what we can we need to give the children the opportunity to you know explore their compassionate side. I, I think that the children are a lot more capable if we give them the opportunity. Um, and it, it's beautiful to see the preschoolers interacting with the babies and just being so kind and gentle with them, even coming down and helping feed them. Like it, it's a really cool experience. I, I think on both ends. Yeah. <clears throat> and that um, peer tutoring and that empathy um, and those skills that absolutely. they're developing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it is a bit of a shift in 
in thinking and it does take a bit more communication with educators across multiple rooms um, because I think we need to think about all of the children as you know being in all of our care we shouldn't you know throw your hand up and say that one over there is yours you know yeah. you need to change that nappy yeah if a child needs a nappy change and you're there just you know just do it it doesn't matter if you're the preschool educator or if you're the nursery educator you should all be working as one giant family yeah um you know and this isn't an ideal world but i think that we can take steps to to get towards this yeah, and perhaps like taking those fences out, seeing it as one space, um, yeah, is really totally. is a really important step towards that. And so, what what is the outdoor environment for? Like, because currently, right now, I feel like across the sector, they're seen as individual spaces in in Australia. Yeah. I will say because in New Zealand, yeah. um, and yeah. from our experience, all the doors were open, the children were inside, yeah. outside. Like it wasn't even a thing; they just flowed between the spaces. Yeah. Um, yeah. But in Australia, it's like okay, we're going inside and we're going outside. So yeah. what is the difference between indoors and outdoors and what do we do in the spaces? What are they for? Well, I think, you know, well, there's many avenues here. Like the going outdoors, I think is where the bulk of your learning is going to happen. I think that's where you're going to get that connection with nature. Um, and that's where children can really explore and, and slow down. Um, you know, even if, think something about like, gardening for example um, I often see services head out to the garden and it becomes like a work zone where you go in and you, you do your work and you get out where I think even if we view our garden as another learning environment you will find we can go out into the garden chuck some bean bags out there and just like watch the butterflies like flying all around or you know maybe watch a caterpillar crawling over the uh, over the plants there um, just kind of connect with that mystery and sort of wonder that is nature. Because I think if children are going to sort of inherit our um, our problems from you know, climate change and all these sort of things, we really need them to connect with nature if they're going to be the ones that, that will have to fight for it. So connection with nature, I think, is a huge thing. But also I think as far as well-being, um, connecting with nature being outside being in the fresh air being in the natural sunlight adds to a a sense of well-being um i think childcare in general is a very unnatural environment uh having children all grouped together um you know away from their families and then you know <laughs> fences closed in and then mm -hmm. in, yeah enclosed in fences um it's it is moving more and more away from i guess you know what what is natural so if we can get outside as much as possible i, I think it's better for the well-being of everybody and i think we should just view the whole environment as as a whole not just an indoor environment or an outdoor environment um, but I think it should all be uh, viewed as a, um, a one giant uh, learning space. Mm. Or if that really answers your question. Yeah, <laughs> no, it does. And no, keep going. It's yeah, fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what, uh, what's, yeah, like what's the difference? Like is there anything that you feel that you can't do outside that we do inside? That you can't do outside? Yeah. No. 
Exactly, right? Not. There's I nothing. So. Yeah. No. So, um, but do you believe that the outdoor space should be like a replica, replicate of the indoor space or they should be there, they like have different opportunities? No, no, no. Like I think, I think they have different purposes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for example, Lego is a really cool resource, uh, but I don't think it works that well outside. As same with Play-Doh, you ever tried taking Play-Doh outside? Yeah. I mean, it doesn't work. Uh, so certainly, yeah, sometimes you just need to be inside. If children want to sit and draw, I mean, you can try and do that outside, but a gust of wind comes and it blows your stuff everywhere. And it's just, yeah, there is a time and a place uh, for everything. So sometimes you want to be indoors um and and that's fine um but i would like to see the majority of learning happening outdoors i know that's where i would prefer to be but not everyone's like that so mm. i think everyone should have the opportunity to be where they want to be really um yeah. if you want to sit inside and read books yeah, cool okay <laughs> you know that's that's fine that's okay do what you need to do um or sit yeah. outside under a tree and read a book too. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like yeah. you might feel more calm uh, mm. being doing that outside. Mm. Um, but I think breaking up the group, especially when it comes to things like meal times, I think uh, that's going to be a lot better if we can do things in, in smaller groups. Um, you know, we, we talk a lot about coming to the table as like a, a family but that only works at a small sort of table. Like you've never gone into like a uh, a food court and thought, wow, this is a really calming environment, you know? Yeah, no. <laughs> it only happens yeah. you know, in the small groups. Mm. And that's the difference, I think. Like if you were to use the food court example and mm. like let's say a fine dining restaurant, at a fine mm. dining restaurant it's much more intimate and you feel yeah. like you can connect and have those conversations, whereas in that that's food right. court it's loud, it's noisy. Yeah, there might be a vibe, <laughs> but is that yeah. the vibe that you're after in that moment? No, yeah, it, I, mean, I, I agree 100%. Um, and I think children are going to learn the best when they feel uh relaxed i think i think that's kind of got to be our main goal is creating a calm relaxing home-like environment um it's stressful enough that they've had to be rushed out the door and then got up and dressed and fed and dropped off at this strange place Uh, so i think if we can you know reduce that anxiety as much as possible that's got to be our number one goal and, you know, if you're a strange hippie like me, then you believe that happens outdoors. Yeah. See, look, I'm an indoor person, um, yeah. although I really enjoy nature. But for me, like it, yeah. designing an indoor space comes yeah. really natural to me. But then when uh-huh. it comes to the outdoor spaces, like I understand like elements, but I just don't understand how to connect them all together. Okay. Okay. Um, well, we can think about different areas of learning so if we Mm. think about kind of yeah our nature play so maybe a water space is great so looking at at water pumps and rivers um so when talking about rivers in particular it's important that the children are able to manipulate the the course of the stream so having loose rock rivers it doesn't have to be you know pretty (laughs) uh just allowing the children the opportunity to move those rocks and so that they can yeah, make the stream move wherever they want to. So that's that's one kind of avenue if you're looking at nature sort of messy play. 
Um, and then that could kind of lead into like your more dramatic play. So your, your mud pit area, your um, mud kitchens and that sort of thing. So that's where your dramatic kind of messy play is going to happen. Um, and, you know, there's also like a fine motor uh, that's going on there, but mainly sort of dramatic play is what we're looking at in that area. Then you want to look at more of like a action-packed kind of gross motor um, area now this is all dependent on how much space you have mm -hmm. um but i would like to see big big motor stuff so climbing uh you know ropes are great anything where you're sort of using your whole body i think slides are a great thing slides are an absolute must i think if wherever possible i like to put slides at least in pairs um I think yeah i found that really interesting why why yeah. is that well because i think there's more than enough opportunity in life to stand and in line and then wait your turn in single file so i think wherever possible slides should be at least grouped in pairs um and also like racing cars down the slide it's it's really fun um i know often this is discouraged i'm not sure why for fear that it's going to scratch the slide or something which it doesn't um so yeah slides in pairs i think is a great thing so depending on how much room you have um certainly there should be some sort of element of uh, yeah, gross motor play. But then I'd like to also see areas of discovery and also quiet spaces. Um, something I talk a lot about uh, in the workshops that I run is having space for the introverts or space where children can observe without feeling as though they are being observed. Mm -hmm. um, also that without compromising our supervision. Um, so often it's nice to have a place where the children can go and enjoy some quiet time, reflective time maybe, and they can just observe what's going on around them without feeling like there's much asked of them. Yeah. Um, so this can just be you know, as simple as some cushions in, the, in a little corner, just some nice, comfortable outdoor space. I think it's something often overlooked um, and it's, it's really not that hard to do. Um, what else? Kind of put me on the spot here as far as outdoor spaces. <laughs> well, even your beautiful teepees, like just having those, um, yeah, cushions in a teepee in a space. Yeah. And I think um, we get really worried from, I guess, it, it comes to mind about supervision and being able to supervise and see children. But mm -hmm. I think it's fine. It's okay for them to have little spaces to escape. Like it's okay to have little mazes and little places that the children feel that they're, um, you know, able to just escape to. It's, yeah, it, it brings up an interesting point. I mean, do we value a child's right to privacy? And how does that compete with our need for supervision now? Yeah. I would like to meet somewhere in the middle where a child can feel like they have a sense of privacy, but I can kind of see what's going on if, if I need to. But yeah. I don't think we need to be hovering over the top of them. Uh, 24-7. So. Oh, and that was something beautiful from New Zealand, I think. Like that was one of the biggest things we took away is that the teachers blended into the environment because they weren't mm. in the children's faces. Like yeah. they, they allowed the children just to be, to spread out in those environments. Um, there was a space in the yard. Oh, my gosh, Aaron, I have to tell you, in, the, in one of these yards, what we appreciated so much in these outdoor spaces, they had dead plants. Like <laughs> they had, and because they weren't in season, right? 
So they right. they were like orchards and they were just sticks because they weren't in season, they weren't blooming. But uh-huh. but we appreciated that because we feel in Australia like a lot of services have evergreen um, plants yeah. and that yeah, it yeah. doesn't allow the children to see the evolving, um, you know, or the involvement of nature. Ah, uh-huh. yeah, yeah, very cool. Mm. Yeah, very so that cool. was awesome. And then a part of the yard, we went over there and it was there climbing and they had swings and um, it was just after the orchard maze that was dead mm. um, or, you know, not in bloom. But yeah. the children were not there and I said, why are there no children over here? And they said they know not to come here because the teachers are on break and there's no teacher here. Yeah, wow. Okay, so just giving the children the opportunity to make those decisions for themselves and showing them trust. I yeah. think trust goes both ways. So. Yeah, there were no gates, there were no fences, um, but there yeah. were no children there, none. Wow, mm. wow. And she said she was surprised that the children hadn't followed her over because they would have seen her moving to that space. Mm-hmm. And so she said, I'm surprised that none of the children are following me, but they were with their educators. They were engaged in other spaces. Like it was just... It was just so much trust and confidence um, put on the children and, like, they were a part of it, not that it was the teacher and then the child. It was just that they were all a part of the environment. And I like that you said that the educators were engaged with the children in their outdoor environment. They weren't sitting back supervising. Yeah. They were with the children engaged in something but it looked different to the way I thought it would look and I've been doing a lot of um like posts and blogs around that I feel like in Australia we feel um I don't even know where it's come from or whatever but a sense of like we have to entertain children like that's Mm. our job we have to entertain them all day but it looked really different in New Zealand like when we looked in the outdoor spaces like the Mm. educators were actually caring for the garden and then the children Mm. were just around them like learning and just participating in the garden um or like the educators were um what's another example yeah like they were building something with this structure or something and then the, the the children were just participating in that like they were a part of it it wasn't it was just well, like, like it was just a community. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. What I like about that is it brings up the image of the educators really respecting the environment. I think by the educators modeling that respect for the environment, the children then show respect for the environment. Yeah. And we then have an outdoor environment that is a shared space. It's not, you know, a space that is kind of someone else's responsibility. You might have over here, there's often one or two educators who it is their responsibility to look after everything in the outdoor space. Mm-hmm. So I think if everyone can, um, you know, take it on their shoulders as uh, you know to look after this space, to to model to the children how we care for this environment, I think it just it makes a more caring environment in general. I think so. Adds to connection. Adds to yeah. And community, and community, Community, and connection, and seeing that the the whole service, including the indoor, Mm. I guess, play space, the outdoors play space, the office, the reception, the foyer. Because even at other services, like they allow children just to flow between the centre if they want to go out of the room into the foyer to the library and read, or like it's a flow of the day. And I just think that places so much trust um, and confidence in the children for them to. To be able to choose but seeing that as a yeah. whole functioning community yeah 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 and it it just it lowers stress levels I think sometimes we have rules in place that don't really make sense and just they add stress to everyone involved um, when I was an educator I had my two boys 
at the service with me and my youngest would just run off from his room. He would just show up in my preschool room, be like, oh, hey, Dad. And uh, then his educators would come and grab him by the hand and take him back to his room. I'm just thinking, why? Why? I don't, I don't know why. Like, yeah. He, if they want to be in a different area, as long as there is communication, so, you know, if there is a fire or something, we everyone is accounted for. But I, it's just adding extra stress that is not necessary. I think we need to just chill out and yeah. <laughs> just slow down. Uh, and, and I think the quality of care would really, really improve. I cannot agree more. And I think that was something that was really clear. I think mm. in New Zealand, there's no stress. Like everyone yeah. is just calm, everyone. And, I, and it helped. It I didn't realise until observing it how stressed we are here. Yeah. But, but we operate on that level. Like it's yeah. not the children that's doing that. It's our energy mm. and it's our vibe and, and it's us that's creating that. They're only bouncing off our energy. Yeah. Yeah, and I feel we could lead by example and, and tone things down. I mean, I know there's a lot of pressure on educators with the whole, you know, recording of observations and the, you know, planning of activities. But, but it doesn't I have to be that way. Like, you know, we're helping services to. simplify all of that, like so that they can get back to focusing on the children, but it doesn't have to be like that. Well, yeah, I'd like to see more interaction, less chasing them around with a camera. Oh my gosh. Yeah. We're doing like tech free weeks, tech free days. Like it's just, yeah, yeah. it's, it's become, yeah. Like there's like that barrier. There's a third teacher, which is not the environment in this case. It's an iPad in front of the, in between the teacher and the, hold on, let's just pause this experience because I need to take a photo for the families. And where, like my biggest question right now, I'm, I'm challenging services is, where has it come from that we need a photo of everything? Yeah, I don't know where that has come from. We've created it, that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we have to show evidence of everything. I think, you know, maybe the evidence could just be that we have happy children in our care. Like, yeah. is that not evidence that we're doing our job well? Yeah, all the projects, the artwork, like the creations, yeah. like what the children are, you know, not even producing but a part of producing, you know, mm. that that journey to get to there, to that point. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, yeah, if we're developing a strong sense of community, I think that would be a, a much better objective than to, uh, you know, have a set amount of activities planned for each child per month. I think so too. Yeah. and And more meaningful as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, I like that you said the idea of the third teacher because that's how I like to view the outdoor environment as yeah. a teacher in itself. That uh, if we set up these cool environments and like they don't have to be much, like especially loose parts, I think is a great um, outdoor learning resource. Often when we think of loose parts, we think about small things set up at a table. Mm-hmm. I would like to see loose parts done on a large scale. Um, so I use a lot of pallet scraps are great for this, but I've seen all sorts of things used, fold up tables. Um, I've seen uh, milk crates are a great thing. Uh, children can build amazing things when they're given the opportunity to just explore these resources and create uh, you know, these little worlds, which may not be pretty, mm. but when you see it through their eyes, they are able to create these amazing things. 
Um, so a loose parts area, I think, is a, a really valuable uh, space to, to have in your in your environment. And it can really start by nothing. You can just keep adding to it. Just ask the parents, have you got, I don't know, old PVC pipes are a great thing. Have you got gumboots? I don't know, anything really. Yeah. Just add to the pile and let's let's see what happens. It's I've seen some really amazing environments uh, in a loose parts area. Yeah, and it reminds me of like, did you see the New York, um, New York City junk playground? No. Oh, it's it's cool. so incredible. It's exactly that. It's a whole playground that all they mm. have is what we see as junk. But to mm. see what the children actually create out of that, it's just like our as adults, I think our curiosity and our creativity become quite diminished. But um, yeah. as children, like they create things we just wouldn't even ever think of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think often they can create things better than I can design things. So wow. I, I love it when they are, you know, they can surprise me with the things that they, they create. Um, so actually that would be advice for anyone who's starting on the journey of changing their play space is just to tackle it one space at a time. Mm-hmm. So don't break it off into intersections and just work on one section. Now let's say you've got an unused corner and you, you know you start landscaping that corner. Maybe you just want to add a, a basic mound to that area. Sometimes in you know, in the time that it takes to get the project finished, the children might choose to use it in a different way, which then changes the course of how you would plan for that area. Mm. Um, so let's say you were planning on putting a, a slide in a mound, or, you know, in an unused corner. You might have the mound there and find that in the time it's taken you to go and source the slide and do all the rest of it that the children are now using that hill as a small loose parts area you know they've got their little dramatic play figures or uh, moving cars around in the dirt in that area then you might say well hey let's leave that let's leave this as a little mounded uh, uh, what would you call that small world play let's leave this as a small world play environment Uh, because obviously this is something that they're interested in let's Mm. focus on another area maybe we'll come back to this maybe we won't Um, but yeah by breaking it down into smaller smaller chunks uh, yeah you'll be really surprised as to where it can take you yeah and it's interesting you say that because um, yeah like we work with services but they look at it from a whole design perspective yeah and they feel like like you know just a service now I'll, I'll send them to you actually they um have have these designs and they're like oh yeah we just want to get the whole thing done and I'm like they yeah. think it's faster to do the whole thing at once and I'm like well actually it's not it's actually quicker to do like little bits but I love what you're saying about as you work through the design see if it's actually relating mm. back to the children and how they utilize the space yeah um i also sometimes have clients uh, who get the children involved in the designing of their spaces so mm-hmm. i've had groups where the children drew a picture of this little climbing frame that they wanted to have built mm-hmm. um i then built the climbing frame but then took it apart and went in there and then ran that as an incursion with the children they got to build this climbing frame that they had designed and they just had a bit more of a connection to this piece of equipment. But that can be done with, um, you know, with any, any area. Actually, that brings me to another point. If you are going to have a go at designing 
something uh, for an area, I find the easiest way to do that is take photos, like a good wide-angled photo of this space, print that out, um, or you can even print that out in a grayscale, and then just draw directly on top of that picture. That way you can show your idea to well, whoever you want to convince, really. You can involve the children in the process and say, look, hey, this is what this area looks like currently. How's about we do this, this, and this to it? And they might say, you know, let's add 50 jumping castles. You're like, okay, let's rain it in. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's always a dream um, to do a, um underground trampoline. Underground trampoline. You know, you know how yeah, they sit be, on yeah. the on yeah on the floor, but then we couldn't um yeah because we did a lot of research about trampolines and you can only have uh-huh. one child on them at a time anyway. Oh really? Yeah. Hmm. I'd like to see more trampolines. Yeah. Um, but yeah, one child at a time seems pretty hard. Yeah. But then again, my little guy broke his leg on our trampoline because I was trying to double bounce him. And <laughs> That's exactly right. Exactly right. So, yeah, apparently, um, yeah, when you have – so because you think you want a bigger trampoline so you can have more children on at yeah. once. But as soon as yeah. you have, like, you have one child, then you have a second child, that increases mm. the risk of the double bounce um, yeah. where injuries and, and things occur. But um, I don't know. Have you heard of um, Nikki Bukan? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so she introduced us to, it's called a a risk benefit assessment. And what it does, it talks about the risk, but it also talks about the benefits to the children of having Mm. that in place. Um, Because what's your your, um, philosophy or thoughts around risk and how to, I guess, communicate that to families or even get the team across with risk? Because they're so fearful. Well, we want children to learn how to navigate through risks safely. We don't want them growing up completely bubble wrapped in a society where there is nothing uh, of of danger. Um, We do need to um, make the distinction between risk and hazard, being a risk is something that you can see and something that you can then take the necessary precautions to overcome. A hazard is just something's broken. You, you know, it looks like it is. It should be all good. You try to climb the ladder and the rungs break. Well, that's a hazard. We don't want hazards in our environment. But we do want the children to learn to keep themselves safe because this has implications later in life where these children are going to grow up and they're going to become teenagers who are programmed to take risk. Now, if they have never learnt these basic skills of how to keep themselves safe and how to analyze risk and how to navigate through that safely well then they're going to have a whole heap of problems now as teenagers who are taking bigger risks and don't have that you know that groundwork of how to safely um how to safely navigate this risk so i would say that risk is really important and risk management is a life skill Uh, so things like fire pits i think are really great to have in our outdoor environment I mean, there's nothing cooler than sitting around and like toasting marshmallows. Yeah. It's just everyone is, they're, they're really well behaved. I've never had any issues around a fire pit. And you don't just start a fire pit. Like I think we need to preface it by saying it's a process that gets up to building yeah. to have a fire pit. Like start with a candle, start talking about what heat feels like. Is it hot? Is it safe? Like, you know, and start talking about those boundaries and build up to that if you're feeling a little bit nervous or apprehensive. I think that's more so for the educators who are going to feel nervous. And I think so too. Yeah. I, I, but that's I, what I, that, that's what I mean. They have to start up and build up to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because 
even like with these campfires, a lot of children are growing up and not having the opportunity to sit around a campfire. So yeah. we need to be providing these environments that they don't have access to at home. Uh, and what I like about the fire pit is once it's all done, we then have this kind of free source of uh, charcoal. So I would have all the wood would burn down and then I'd get bits of plywood and the children would then use all that charcoal to just draw stuff. But yeah, it was a really cool kind of connection um, as to yeah where we can get this charcoal from. It's something I used to really, really enjoy uh, back during my days as a sustainability educator. Yeah. Sit around the fire. That's awesome. I've never thought about yeah. that, like using the charcoal after the fire. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and there's, there's just that exploration. You know? You've got this bit of charcoal and it's not drawing properly, but, hey, if I dip it in the water, then well, now it's, like, activated. <laughs> now I can, yeah, it, there's so much exploration that can come just by hanging out in these environments. Yeah, and so leaving our listeners, um, is there any other further tips around um, the outdoors, utilising that space, maximising learning um, in the outdoor environment? I think I've pretty much covered everything. Yeah, uh, well, I'm curious about your, like, protected play space because uh-huh. um, I think that was, like, when designing the play spaces, yep. it was the bits in between that I found were the biggest issue because we ended up with a lot of... Um, yeah, well, like, what do we fill it with? I know okay, it sounds, well, yeah. Okay, I get where you're coming from. So well, you've got you your key areas, like you've got your, you know, your sand pit, yeah. you've got your garden, you've got your, mm-hmm. like, I guess your heighted area, which is on your, you know, softball sort of barky oh, area. Yeah, I, didn't, I didn't mention that either, is level change. I think it's something that's important mm. too. Often I visit services where everything is completely flat, Um I think it is important to have some sort of height variation. So something that we can climb up and, and view the world from a higher uh, vantage point. It doesn't have to need, doesn't need to be crazy, but any sort of level change, I think is really important. Um, breaking it off into smaller chunks, garden beds work really, really well for this. So just basic garden boxes. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if you want to change this more regularly, even garden boxes on wheels that can be positioned around to create a little protected, you know, think about it like a, a shoe, a horseshoe kind of shape mm-hmm. area. Mm-hmm. Now you've got your little protected play space in there. Now you can add a little gate to that front area. So you've got a box uh, that's you know, instant protected play space, but then you can, you want it bigger. Let's just push these um, garden boxes out of the way. You now we can have a bigger space. So yeah, think about breaking it off into smaller chunks. Um, Building little decking areas is one way to do that. Um, Different sorts of ground cover is another way of doing that. Mm -hmm. So through our use of ground cover, we can influence the speed in which children transition between stations. Mm -hmm. I don't think I mentioned that. I'll get to that in just a sec. Okay, so. (laughs) I knew there was stuff that was missing. We'll get it out of there. (laughs) Um, Okay, so if we are using only tan bark, uh, you'll find that the children kind of travel at tan bark speed. If we mix that up with maybe some pebbles or some grass or some dirt, you move differently on these different sorts of uh, ground covers. So this is one way that we can influence the speed in which children transition between stations. Which brings me to the dramatic play areas. So 
When we're setting up dramatic play spaces, it's always better to set up two or three smaller stations that will operate as a village rather than setting up one central space that the children need to compete for. Mm. Um, so think of that's where your teepees or your, your little cubby houses comes into play. So children can then move between the little cubby houses, have several games operating at once, and they're not really interfering with each other's play. So, yeah, that's that's actually a really important point when setting up dramatic play in your indoor or in your outdoor environment, smaller stations and uh, get them to operate as a village. Um, yeah, very important. And what does that look like in an environment? Because I know I've seen you present and I've seen the visuals, um, yeah. but if you can, yeah, sort of like help our listeners to visualise what that might look like in practice. Yeah, so uh, when talking about this part, um, I like to show the slide where it has three smaller cubby houses. Mm -hmm. And now these cubby houses only need to be, uh, I think they're about 1.2 metres by 1.2 metres, so, you know, very small. You can fit you know, three children inside there comfortably. So if you can have three of these stations facing each other, even with a some sort of central gathering point in the middle, mm -hmm. the children can come together in the middle and they can break off into their separate play spaces. Uh, you'll find that really works a lot better. Yeah, okay, so where they have that general meeting place but they break off into their own places. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah, and, um, yeah, I guess that's then they're taking on different roles in their play, um, yeah, in their own little village. Yeah, because it's rare that we'll see a huge group, or I say huge group, it's rare that we'll see five children all playing together in the same game. They might be kind of playing parallel to each other mm -hmm. or playing similar sort of games, yeah. but it's not a collaborative effort working on the one game. Mm. Maybe as they, as they get older, like, you know, closer to school-ready, um, so yeah, just being aware that there's going to be multiple different, uh, imaginary play scenarios happening in this one area and trying to cater for as many of those as possible is, uh, I guess, the ticket to success in creating an outdoor dramatic play space. Yeah. I love that for them to be able to take on whatever role they want. And I think also, I think back in practice about, you know, mums and dads and things, and they're like, well, I'm the mum mm. and you're the dad or, but then mm. they can be multiple of those in the same space because they're yeah, in their own yeah. house, so to speak. Yeah. 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 That's a, that's a cool way to think about it. Um, yeah, just different rooms of the same house. Is, mm. That could be another way to, to set it up. Actually, it reminds me. So we were really, I, I know because I've just visited to New, New Zealand, so everything's <laughs> about New Zealand right now. But yeah. um, we were lucky to go and see a traditional village in New Zealand. And they, yeah. and the old, what they did um, back then, instead of like, they didn't have what we call like a traditional house now. They actually had huts for different things. So they would have an eating hut. They would have like, uh, they didn't have TVs, but they just said like they would have an entertainment hut or a games hut. Then they would have another hut for sleeping. So everything mm -hmm. was in its own separate little hut um, for the desired purpose that it was built for. Yeah, brilliant. Isn't that fascinating? Yeah. So yeah. they said like a lot of elders now struggle with the traditional housing where everything is all in the one place. Yeah. Yeah. No. So your yeah, concept of having idea. like different little um, like villages reminded me yeah. of exactly how they used to build, um, yeah, their villages. Yeah. And I guess that's kind of a cool metaphor to how we could design our, our play spaces to have a village with each part, uh, you know, having its own role. 
Yeah, exactly. Having its own role, which you do describe very well. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> like as we go through and venture through the environment. Beautiful. Or is there anything else you want to leave our listeners with? Any words of wisdom? Any inspiration? Mm, I don't think so. Like my Instagram. I've oh, yeah. How not- can they find you? <laughs> <laughs> we'll get there. We'll get how, um, Yeah, if they want to know more about you. Um, and look, we see all of your um, palette play designs and workshops all across the socials. So we love seeing yeah. those with all of the teams that you work with. So how can they find yeah. you? Um, yeah, so the website is paletteplay.com.au. Um, you can find me on Facebook. You can find me on Instagram um that's it um that will have the links if you want to call me if you want to email me um yeah find me on socials find me on the the website happy to have a chat um even if you just want some sort of guidance as to how you can better design your space or how you can start your own journey i often get people contacting me uh asking how they can i guess do what i do so i'm happy to talk you through that if you want to join this crazy world of being a playground playground uh person so um, playground yeah, person in, you need a better yeah. role you need a better title <laughs> better title I'll, I'll think of one playground facilitator um, playground designer yeah yeah, yeah I, I like the, i like playground consultant yeah oh, I, think that I cool. hate that word where we try not to say yeah i'm not a fan i'm not a fan yeah. like we opt a bit you know ev- everyone's different for us like we like to be coach or mentors or um okay yeah and be part of that journey we don't see ourselves as being yeah we see ourselves as a part of that journey not um playground coach that sounds kind of cool I yeah get on board with there you that. go there yeah. you go Yeah, love it, love it. All right, awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time, Aaron. Can't wait to keep in touch and see your journey unfold. And I actually saw that you're on a bit of a road trip up to Queensland. Oh, yeah, plug that. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I generally, I run workshops, well, I'm based in Canberra, so I run workshops down to Victoria and all through New South Wales, all the time. Uh, January, I travel up to Brisbane area. Uh, so yeah, if you're in the Brisbane Gold Coast area, or I guess anywhere between Canberra and Brisbane, get in touch because I can only really make it up there once a year. I drive all the way up there. I bring a car with a trailer full of timber and just with all the tools you could possibly need. Uh, so yeah, really trying to plug the um, the Queensland road trip uh, this time. So yeah, yeah awesome. if you're listening, get on board. Yeah, and we've got connections up there. So I'll, um, yeah, I'll connect you. I'll get in yeah, touch nice. with them too. I'm sure they'll love it. They've got, um, yeah, a few centres up there. So I'm sure they'll love that yeah, with their great. teams. Beautiful. But, um, right. yeah, thank you so much for your time. Thanks so much for joining yeah, us to talk about everything outdoors. But, um, yeah. yeah, and we can't wait to see where your journey leads. All right. Well, yeah, thanks for having me. And i uh, Love to come back, come sit in the podcast studio next time. Yes, come and visit us. for real. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, thanks so much, Aaron. All right. All right, until next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Everything Early Childhood podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media or leave a rating and review. We read them all. (laughs) To catch all the latest from me, your host, Lisa Brown, you can follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Lisa Brown underscore Platinum Ed. Thanks again for listening. 
keep making every moment count and I'll see you next time.